Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. No guests this week, which means I have a little more time with my co-host. She is an expert on food, wine, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I'm doing amazing. I'm amazing and hot. Hot, Eric. I know. It's it's really hot. It's really, I'm coming it's, in hot today. Oh, good. Well, you know, I, I, I do enjoy an opinionated Felice, so my favorite kind of Felice. So let's do this. All right. Let's dive into the news of the week. Topic number one. Chefs David Skinner of Eculent and Benchawan Painter of Street to Kitchen have teamed up to create the Preserve at Eculent, a Thai-oriented tapas bar with a focus on dishes made with preservation techniques. This will be located in the same Kima property where Eculent is, and it is scheduled to open by the end of the year. Felice, let me throw it to you. We talked about street to kitchen quite a bit on the show. I'm wondering, you know, do you have any familiarity with either it or Eculent, the uh, very elevated tasting menu restaurant in Kima? So Eculent, I am familiar with, been trying to get out there. And we've talked about this. I think we're supposed to go. Just, yeah, when I'm in Kima, there's other things I'm doing and I just haven't gone yet. However, um street to kitchen i'm very jealous because just my hours so i haven't gone but i think that it possibly could get me to kima you know pretty fan let me tell you let me tell you pretty faster than clearly eculent has thai food and pretty food that i'm not sure about yeah i'm gonna go for you know the thai food like pretty thai food you got well, me. Well, sure. I mean, the thing about Eculent and, uh, you know, as part of the reporting for this story, David very generously invited me to have dinner down there. So we'll talk about that as next week's restaurant of the week with with Matt Harris. But but for this week, I, I understand why you haven't been to Eculent because it seats 20 diners a night, mm-hmm. three nights a week, and it costs you know, 200 and I think it's like 230 or $240 plus any wine pairings and cocktails plus uh tip. So, right. It's just a job. Like you just named every, those are like, uh, okay, I got it. This, this It's just a lot to think about when I, I got all these options in front of me without having to, now you didn't add drive an hour. Right. Like, right. Right. And, and of course it books up essentially every time chef David opens the books, it fills up immediately because it's only, you know, but yes, I mean, obviously this is very exciting, right? Street to kitchen just won restaurant of the year at the culture map tastemaker awards. I did not realize that, uh, chef Benchawan, who's known as chef G Mm -hmm. and chef David had become friends, but, but they've, hit it off because apparently they're uh, David Skinner has a Choctaw great grandmother. And there are certain, there's certain overlap in ingredients between native American cooking and Thai cooking, because a lot of the chilies that are, this is, this is what they explained to me. A lot of the chilies that are used in Thai food 
were imported from America. So there's some mm. there's some overlap in ingredients, and they both have this mutual interest in any kind of preservation technique, you know, pickling, fermentation, all that. So they have this idea for this tapas concept. And of course, you know, you say it's more likely to get you to Kima. And of course, because this will be more casual, it will be less expensive. It'll be, it's physically larger. I mean, I've, I've seen the space, it seats more than 20 people and it won't be, you know, a three plus hour commitment. You can kind of, you know, it's a tapas party. You can kind of come right. and go, you can come and go as you please. So, and all the stuff you just named when you were talking about the marriage of um, the ingredients and the chefs, that's very intriguing. From um, a food lover standpoint, that would be enough to get me out there, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. <laughs> well, good. Explain why. Well, because um, no one's really doing that. Like, usually when someone does something like that, it's like thought up, they, thought, they think about it. They, um, like me, I'm the chef. I've traveled, I've done, I've tasted all these different things in my travels. I've come across it. Hey, you know what this, here's my culture. These are some of the, the, the chilies I grew up with. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a singular vision, right? Um, based on their taste and their experiences. Now you're taking two chefs that, food and ingredients possibly have brought them together. And then you're getting two different viewpoints of um, a cuisine. It's like a fusion and a meeting of the mind. So that's intriguing. Put that on a plate, put those two, it's literally putting the two chefs on a plate with all their experiences and all of that. I'm intrigued. No, no, I, I think that's, <laughs> I, I think that's all. I, I, I think that's all well said. Um, and, and I agree with you. I, you know, it, you know, we, we talk about, you know, collaboration pop-ups all the time. We, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know that we've ever had a collaboration restaurant before. Not maybe, certainly not like this. Um, no. Mm -mm. And, and so, yeah, I think, you know, the sky's the limit. And, and I will say, you know, the initial article didn't, you know, it came out on a Friday. It's summer. I think people may have missed it. So I, I, I almost feel like I need to, you know, I'm, I'm excited for them to do some like previews, you know, whether they do a pop-up at Street to Kitchen or, or however they want to do this to kind of prepare people. Because I, I think a lot of people who will be interested in this news may have missed the initial announcement. And then Correct. they're going to flip out when they, when they see that this is happening. And to your point, um, I think hopefully they'll listen to this. Um, they need to do some pop-ups and um, one or two, you know, they got, they got concepts, right? Like do the pop-ups, tell your story through the food. Um, and then, you know, maybe you'll cover it again when they do the pop-up, if it gets closer, where you're saying like, for people that like food, it's a big deal. Like I was, oh. when you talked about it, I read, I was like, oh, interesting you know but it's very interesting yeah yeah no don't worry this is this we'll be talking about this a lot <laughs> both between now and when it opens and then after it opens i you know hopefully you know hopefully we get a break on gas prices hopefully gas prices go down a little bit between now and the end of the year because 
I, I don't want to be spending 20 bucks in gas just to go to chemo. Like I, I need a right. little, I need a little relief. Yep. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. This, this was a very popular article. This is the, the most read article in culture map in July, at least so far. James Coney Island closed its last interloop location at the intersection of Shepherd and Richmond. And I use that occasion to point out that there have been a, a notable number of James Coney Islands that have closed over the last couple of years, including, you know, one in town and country, the, the one on Mason Road that's been there for a long time, uh, the one in Meadows Place, kind of right on the border between Houston and Stafford on Highway mm-hmm. 59. And then one at, uh, one up in the in the northwest side on 1960. So I say all that to say to you, you know, clearly this is a this is a time of transition for James Coney Island. They, you know, I talked to Darren Strawn, who's the the longtime president. He said, "Yeah, we're we're selling real estate, you know, to to inject some money into the company so that we can reopen in smaller locations with smaller dining rooms and drive-throughs." Right, like the town and country location didn't have a drive-through which for a, a fast food or even a fast casual concept is pretty essential these days. Yeah. So, you know, you're a native Houstonian, right? You, you and I did a, you and I participated in a, in a charity fundraiser with James Coney Island several years ago where we created right. hot was so dogs. much fun. So much it fun. was a ton of fun. We got, we got our ass kicked by Lily Jane. Lily Jane. <laughs> right. Who's, Right. It was it was up. It was an online vote for the favorite hot dog. <laughs> really kicked our asses. But we, we raised some money for charity. We had a good time. Yeah. So so I say all that to say to you. What is your kind of perception of James Coney Island and, and what do you make of these kind of closings? And, and does it does it still have a place in Houston? So it's funny that you mentioned the um, contest that we did. Um, that was such an honor for me. It was so mysterious. It, it was so nostalgic because I am from Houston and I grew up with James Coney Island, right? So um, it doesn't matter in my mind, like how good I thought it was when I was younger, um, what they are today. It still is just like, it's James Coney Island. It's a staple. It makes me feel a way. Um, so when the one on Mason Road closed, I think I almost cried. Now, how often do I go there, right? I know that's probably a question you'll ask. I didn't go there all the time, but I went there more than you would think. Like if I was having a bad day or something, um, I'm like, let me just go to James Coney Island and get a hot dog. Like just the feel, right? Like it just made me feel good. So um, it was very sad when you were like, hey, they, they closed the last one. Just because for me, it's like, the end is near for what, you know, what the new concept is going to be. And I'm very cool and I'm happy for them that they're, you know, trying to reinvent themselves. And I think with them reinventing themselves, because a lot of people say, wait, we're going to make this change and here's what the future looks like, but they don't bring enough newness in or do the research of what, what does that really look like? It doesn't look like just, making it a smaller building and doing these things, right? It, it takes some uh, market research in some ways or fresh, fresh eyes. So whatever that looks like for your company, I think that's what they need to do. That's, if that's what they're going to do 
what really what does that look like it needs to look more like um what people really want than what it looks like on paper and we're just going to change this to push to to bring more money in and that's where people make that mistake they they miss that human connection of what people really want what is this new what does this look like to get what i just said the nostalgia of it and people continuing to go to james coney island you know, generation after generation. So, right. So, th- so, what you're tell- so, so what you're telling me is if you were the interview guest and I said, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It turns out yours is James Coney Island. Yeah, it would be James Coney Island would definitely make the list. Yes. <laughs> yes, it yeah. definitely would make the list. Yes. Right. I, I have to admit, even though I grew up in Houston, it, it's more of like an occasional like treat eh, maybe not treat exactly but just like an occasion like oh you know i haven't had this in a long time like let me go get let me go get a couple of chili cheese conies and some tots and admittedly an oreo shake like there's not enough there's not enough oreo shakes in this world in my opinion right you know, it's a little bit difficult through the straw so you know i live- and the coney punch and you did not mention the oh, coney yeah, the- punch is yes. like you yeah j- that alone <laughs> right so you know i've it's been probably a, a couple of years and but but I'm with you. I mean, this is you know this restaurant was founded in 1923, which means it will celebrate its hundredth anniversary next year, which makes it one of the very oldest continuously operating restaurants in Houston. I mean, you know, you got mm-hmm. you know you got Christie's, Molina's, right, and then and then oh, and then a bunch of other places. But JCI, you know, Guido's in Galveston has been around for mm-hmm. more than hundred years. But like, it's a short list of restaurants that have been around even. Even more than fifty years, Brennan's, Tony's—I mean, you know, yeah. real like bedrock institutions. So, this is clearly a culinary legacy worth preserving, and they've tried to update it. Right? They rebranded it as JCI Grill. They they tried to do some more advanced menu items. Like, I, I mean, I, I think you have to kind of be what you are, right? Yes. Have the best hot dog in Houston. You know, sell it at a at a reasonable price. And, and embrace your history and play up the nostalgia. I, I think you're on the right track with that. And, and, I, and I think they kind of understand that, even though the future is somewhat uncertain. I mean, you know, I did a little digging, you know, a little, a little advanced Googling. And, and there are a couple of more locations that are available for lease, right, for the right uh, offer. Mm, you know, somebody okay. wants to take them over. So like the, the Pasadena store, uh, for example, or the, the one on... 45, like just north of 610, you know, they, they can be had if, for the right offer for the. Got for the it. Offer. So clearly so that's, still a, that's rethinking. a telltale, right? Yeah. That's a telltale. They, they're rethinking their location strategy and, and how many and where and all that stuff, but it's not going away. I, I think that's the important thing to sort of emphasize, even though things look sort of grim right now, it's not going away. But, but I would say to anyone who really likes James Coney Island, now is the time. Right. If you if you, you know, there's 11 locations still floating around the Houston area. If you haven't been to one in a minute, you know, go to that West Timer store, go to the one in Meyerland. You know, they're in the Woodlands, they're in Webster. They're, you know, they're scattered around the suburbs. Now's the time because, you know, the future is uncertain. And it may not look like that anymore. Right. Like you want to take a take take your last walk down memory lane with it because it's still kind of new right like they where you say they made some changes but some of them still kind of look like they haven't had changes so yeah i'll just say that 
especially the suburbia, as you go out, like they didn't really make too much of the changes, like in my mind, like they did with the um, inner loop location. No, I, I, I think that's right. Right. I think, yeah. you know, the, over the last couple of years, one of the, one of the big changes in the pandemic is people don't dine in at fast food restaurants anymore. Right. You know, like the, the, you know, the, the days of like, when I was a kid, we'd, we'd eat at McDonald's, play in the playground, you know, stay for an hour. Yeah. I don't really think that happens anymore. I think right. all of that stuff is just drive through curbside goodbye. Correct. And so they don't need, you know, a restaurant like James Coney Island doesn't need the footprint to have a dining crowd in the same way that they used to, because that just doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't make sense. You're correct. Yeah. Right. So they're rethinking that. Again, fans of the restaurant, now's your time. And this is a story that we'll sort of continue to follow to see, you know, where these new, new locations do pop up, you know, where they, where they find these smaller footprints and, and uh, you know, where people can continue to get that, that chili cheese coney and, and Delaware punch craving. Yep. All right. And then topic number three, there's a new food festival coming to Houston in October. It is Chefs for Farmers. Started in Dallas as a series of dinners. Now it's, uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's a familiar, this is a familiar format to anyone who's been to, you know, everything from Chef Fest to the Tastemaker Awards to Southern Smoke, you know, chefs, tasting stations. Uh, this one has a particularly good lineup. I will say they got Chris Shepard, they got Aaron Bludorn, they got Hugo Ortega, they got, you know, Michael Sambrooks from Candente in the Pit Room, they got uh, just a whole bunch of people. Felice, let me throw it to you. On the outside chance, have you been to a Chefs for Farmers event in Dallas? And if not, like, what, what does a food festival have to do to get your attention these days? So I haven't gone to a Farmers Festival in Dallas, but this one is very intriguing to me. For a food festival, a successful food festival to me looks kind of like the ones that you've named. Even though they're all different, there's something familiar where they're, they're well-organized and thought out. The traffic flow, think about the traffic flow of the events, meaning, you know, if I go to this booth, am I, sta- like, am I standing forever? Is it disorganized? And if there is enough high-end appeal of the chefs, I guess I'll say, enough fanfare, enough um, popular chefs, because if there's enough popular chefs, then it's going to be kind of evenly distributed, right? Like the flow is going to be well. Um, I hate going to a festival where it's, and this is going to sound bad, but whatever. <laughs> it's um, maybe two hot chefs, like that are really, really hot. And then mediocre, mostly mediocre, maybe chain spots. I'll say that. Not even mediocre restaurants, chain spots. And then there's some, the next level's good. There's just not that many really good chefs. And then it's just the crowd control. It's hard to move around because everyone wants really to go to the same places. And then you have all these kind of chain restaurants that may be really good, but no, there's like no one wants to go there because they didn't make them elevate to their offering, right? So that's a no for me. It's a no for me. I call those cash grab events. So I want it to be a little bit more exclusive 
a little bit um, a little bit different um, and chefs that I know are going to bring it right like it's not necessarily a competition but it is a competition right I'm, I, there may, we may might be giving them an award but you know they're competing you know Chris like okay if Aaron's doing this I'm getting ready to bring it you know if Chris is bringing it Mr. Ortega Chef Ortega you, you just know that they're going to bring their A plus game those are the festivals I want to go to Right. I'll, I'll say, you know, Alex I. Young from Fat Eatery is going to be there. You know, he was doing caviar topped uh, shoe my dumplings at the Tastemaker Awards. That's a memorable bite. That's where you start to feel like you get your money's worth. Uh, you know, you know, Leonard Botello from Truth Barbecue is going to be there. He did his their whole hog at the Houston Barbecue Festival. Right. You know, that's a that's a kind of unique offering that they only do uh, once a week, something that he's really passionate about. It's like, all right. So, you know, he's going to do something special, something really memorable. Right. He's not just going to do like, I mean, he could just do brisket, right? But, you know, he's not going to just do something like he's going to elevate it to the event, to the caliber. And that's that's what I want to see from the offering and the event. I want there something to be, I want it to be something special. Like Chef Fest is a very small festival, relatively, right? But it's so well done and it's so much fun and the flow, it's, it's, it's fun. It, it's just a good day. Yeah. You know, I will say one other thing about this lineup that appeals to me is that you're going to get a sneak peek of a few restaurants that haven't opened yet. So Michael Sandbrooks is representing Andiron, his live fire steakhouse. There's Kirthen and Kripa Shinoy from Auden, which is also, you know, that's opening at the Autry Park mixed use development. Annabelle, the Berg Hospitality Concept, uh, the brasserie that's opening at, at Autry Park is going to be there. Uh, Austin Waiter, formerly of Tony's, he's doing the Marigold Club with Goodnight Hospitality. They're going to be excited. there. I'm more yeah. excited. I'm so excited. So everything about that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Gio Dingayan, I think. Sorry, sorry, Chef Gio. I, I feel like I messed it up. But Money Cat, the new. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of upscale sushi restaurant from the Tobio folks that's opening uh, an upper Kirby next to Kieran's is going to be there. So, you, you know, October 2nd, some of these places may be open by then. Most of them probably won't be. And so you get a little, a little bit of a sneak peek, which I like. Yeah. And then that's, and it's kind of good weather around here. You know, we not, we don't know, but usually. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And, and I right. will say, I will say, I looked up one other thing. I looked up who the Texans are playing that Sunday. They are home against the Chargers. And the mm. Chargers are one of the very best teams, I, hopefully, I think, in the AFC this year. So if you're a Texans fan, you can skip that one. They're going to be uh, probably a double-digit underdog. We all know how that's going to go. You can go to the festival. You don't have to worry about it. you're missing a good game. You know you're ready it will to not be a, It will not be a good game. The you know the Texans win. fans are getting ready to come for your neck. You know they're getting ready to get you, right? Texans, <laughs> Texans fans know that this is a team that's playing for 2023. They they know that going into the season. Yeah, like, they already know, okay? All right. <laughs> he said what he said, people, okay? Right. Well, you know, this this show airs on a sports talk radio station, so I like to have the occasional sports day. Keep people yeah. on their toes. <laughs> uh, shout out to ESPN 97.5. All right. Uh, Felice, on that note, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around.
Felice, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Blue Sushi Saki Grill, which opened recently in the Heights MKT development on Shepherd, just north of I-10. Blue Sushi Saki Grill comes to us from Omaha, uh, where they have they have a location in Dallas. They they have multiple locations across the country. I mean, I have thoughts, but but I thought I'd, I'd throw it to you. What, what did you kind of think of our meal at, at Blue Sushi Saki Grill? So I'm going to, I know you're throwing it to me, but I'm going to have to throw it back to you. Let me tell you why. Because I couldn't, we remember we were sitting there and I said, I have an interesting question I'm going to ask you on air. Since you have so much to say sometimes about these um, dating dinners, right? Remember I said that? Yes. So I'm going to ask you, what did you think about it? Just aesthetically, right? Like we're going to go aesthetics and then we'll kind of work the other way. Is this a place that you would consider that you would take a first date? Then we can go from there. Would you take a first date to this spot? Okay. So I think that I might take a first date. Well, there are reasons that I would and reasons that I wouldn't. The, The reasons that I would take a first date to this spot First of all, it's gorgeous, right? It's got this mm-hmm. kind of modern aesthetic. It feels, you know, it's it's dark. It's got bright color. It's got like a, a it's a kind of dark interior, but it's got like a lot of bright colors. You know, these paper lanterns hanging from the ceilings. Like it's it's very colorful. It's very lively. The other reason I would take a date there is that the menu is enormous. They have literally dozens of sushi rolls with raw items, cooked items, uh, vegan and vegetarian options, you know, gluten-free, whatever. Like whatever your date wants to eat, as long as they are in a general, like, unless they're like a steak and potatoes person, you know, or they just hate Japanese style food, Mm -hmm. they will find something on this menu. Correct. Okay. The reason I would not take a date there is because it is a sushi restaurant that feels a little bit out of time to me in the sense that it, it really is all about like the rolls and the creative nigiri that have, you know, cooked elements. Like we had, you know, everything bagel seasoned salmon over a, a crispy rice, you know, filled mm-hmm. with uh, cream cheese. So that is not a tradition. That is by no one's definition of traditional sushi experience. And, and I, like being who I am and doing what I do for a living, I would think a date that I was someone I was taking on a date might expect like something more elevated, right? Like, you know, if we're going on a date to sushi, they might be expecting something more traditional from me. So this is good. This is good. This is, these are good things, E. So I think, I think other couples should go on dates there, you know, because I, I had this thought and I was going to save it, but I'll just do it right now, right? Like most cuisines, sushi exists on a spectrum. There are people who pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for very intimate omakase experiences, you know, whether that's Tokyo, New York, San Francisco, whatever, you know, we have, we have a version of that with a place like Hidden Omakase or, or Neo, but, but, you know, even another level up like in terms of price and, and mm-hmm, yeah. experience. And then, you know, at the, so that's the high end. And then at the, at the low end, there's, you know, grocery store sushi. 
and, and everything else sort of exists on the spectrum. Right. So blue sushi, you know what I would, I, maybe not for a date, but like with a group of, a group of friends who enjoy sushi, but, but aren't like snotty about it, you know, because we just order a bunch of rolls. They come out on the big wooden boat. Everybody has a good time. Everybody gets a couple of cocktails. You know, there's the vegan options I think are, are good for inclusivity. So, you know, something that there's choices for everybody. So I do it for like a birthday. Yeah. But maybe not, maybe not for a date or, or maybe not for a first date because I just, I think I might confuse the, the, the kind of woman who wants to date me probably expects a different food experience with me. Yeah. But, but now having said that, would you, how would you feel if someone took you on a date to Blue Sushi Sake Grill? Yeah, I would be, um, I would be very happy. I would be impressed that um it's funny all the things that you named right like so i think i'm gonna go back to you too on the dating thing i would be impressed because it's like wow i didn't just go they didn't take me to just to your point the spectrum like the low-end sushi place you know i'm not you know a lower end sushi place sushi place or the like places that i would go to normally right like I like sushi. So I think that um, they would have had to tap into something. It's like, hey, this is a cool new retro, retro spot. And it gives all the things, right? Like it has vibe, it has great vibe, good energy, um, aesthetically pleasing. And it's, it was fun. Like it was, it was a fun night. We got there. When we got there, it was kind of early and rainy as we got ready to leave, the restaurant was packed with all different, I was looking at groups of friends, looked like people were on dates, maybe some families. Um, so it gave everything. So I would enjoy it on a date. And it has a lot of options. So even if like the person's like, well, I don't know, because people say, oh, I like sushi. And really what they're saying is some people like they only eat sushi rolls, right? So you don't have to kind of go through that. Do you, are you really a sushi lover or do you like rolls? Do you like ramen? This gives you all the things, as you said. Um, some of our favorites were the vegan options. You know, they had some really, the vegan rolls were good. Um, the um, fusion was good. So I think it gave everything that I would want it to give. Um, cocktail wise, I don't go to places like that expecting great cocktails. So I probably would just get like, you know, just a basic cocktail, something very, very basic. So I wouldn't be disappointed. Um, our cocktails were pretty good. I mean, I had a highball. Um, I thought it was, it was a little bit sweeter than I wanted, but you know, I started it up and it was fine. Right. The profile, the profile leans a little sweet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say, I would basically agree with everything you said. The, the thing that I would say about ordering the sushi is the kind of, the crazier it is, the, the less traditional, the wilder flavor combinations, <laughs> yeah. the better off you are. Because yes. the, the basic, like like my favorite thing was the the spicy tuna over the crispy rice, yep. uh, the, the mushroom vegan roll that we got. And uh, the black tuna. Yeah, and that that marinated escalar. Yeah. Right. I, I thought that those were all good. The the things that 
didn't really work for me were like the basic, you know, tuna nigiri, salmon belly nigiri. You know, you went to pick them up with your chopsticks, the rice fell apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't feel like the rice had a lot of the vinegar. They weren't, the the pieces weren't seasoned. You know, this is the kind of sushi restaurant where you, you know, in in an omakase environment, if you make the brown slurry with your soy sauce and wasabi, it's poor form. It's bad manners. But if you do it at Blue Sushi Saki Grill, it's completely fine. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's possible to have that, that casual fusion sushi experience that doesn't take itself very seriously, uh, where the waiters are friendly, where they know the menu, where the atmosphere is really lively and just enjoy it. And, and frankly, I mean, we ate a lot of, we ate a lot, you know, we weren't, we were their guests, we weren't paying for it, but the bill at the end of the night was about 150 bucks. Yes, um, that's, that's what makes which, it a good which date good spot. luck. Which good <laughs> luck doing that. You know, I think I think it would be possible for two people to eat there for, you know, that 100 to 125 dollar price point. Yep. Which, you know, that's hard to do. Uh Correct. at a, at a more a more upscale sushi environment. So Right. That's what makes it a good date spot. That's why I wanted to ask you that and that's why I think you could take a date there because if listeners you know and you know they're very in tune with these dating conversations we have um they would if we go with your past dating conversations right the first date wouldn't expect to go there anyway because you know you just really don't want to take a first date to uh we've talked about that right so i think this would fit your first day protocol because they're getting something way more than they would expect to get from you on a first date and it's very impressive and it's fun. And for you, as we're talking about, you're like, you don't have to feel like you're spending a whole, you're breaking the bank on this person that you may never go out with again. Right. I mean, you know, cause that, that dinner for two at Nancy Sussel, which I, I think is an impressive first date spot cause it's not super formal, uh, but it's got a good energy. I mean, you know, that's a $200 dinner for two, like guaranteed, yeah. right? With yeah. A couple of drinks. So you know, blue sushi sake grill, a little less expensive, fun atmosphere. I, you know, I, I, I think it's got, I think, I think you're right. I think it's got a lot of potential uh, as a date night spot or, a, you know, a birthday spot for a group of friends or, and, and they're open for lunch too, which yeah. you know, shifts the conversation a little bit, but, but, you know, you're and we didn't for mean- that like affordable sushi lunch spot. I think that's a possibility. But we did mention also a thing that I thought was very impressive and you may not be People may not be into this or they either are. I love how they do their sourcing on the menu from where all the um, their um, seafood and stuff comes from. I, I, that makes me very happy. Very happy. No, I, I, I think that's right. A, you know, sustainable, right? That one of the things they really pride themselves on is sustainability. And so all of their seafood is sustainable. You won't get, you know, bluefin tuna from Japan because it's not, that's being overfished. Uh, so they get their tuna from from somewhere else, from Spain or from wherever, uh, and, and it's all on the menu. So yeah. there's a there's a lot of integrity to what they do, and and that that is a good point, and that is worth praising them for. Yeah. All right, and then just real quick, the menus for Houston Restaurant Weeks are out. Uh, the event, as always, runs through the month of August uh, into Labor Day, so August first through September fifth this year. Uh, this is the charity dining event with prefix menus. Uh, this year, the prices are $25 for lunch and brunch. 
and $39 or $55 for dinner. Felice, I, I know you probably haven't had too much chance to look at individual menus, but do you have a strategy? What is your advice for people who are looking at hundreds of restaurant locations and trying to figure out where they should go for Houston Restaurant Weeks? I have a strategy, Eric, um, especially because it's, it's different. It's a lot different than in the past, right? Like it is a lot of different. The price is different. Um, I had to look at menus um, just to kind of get my mind right. There is this shift where in the past where restaurants would throw new stuff that they were trying out and different things, maybe some did traditional. Um, now I just see a whole lot of, um, I don't say a lot of newness. So my strategy um, for tackling this is places that I really like um, that I haven't been to, want to go back to, um, to get together with my friends. Those will be the places that I'm going that are offering like a good, you know, that's a good offering, like a daily gather, a cultivare, like um, B&B Butcher. Those are places that I'm going to go to first. Um, there, if there's some new places on there that I want to try out, I didn't see a lot. But if, if I go back and really take my time, like I will do, um, I'll try some of those out. That's my strategy. Um, tried and true and throw in some new. That's it. <laughs> that goes together. I told you I was coming in hot today. I told you. <laughs> yeah, you stitched it up. You, 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 tied it, you tied it all up in a nice little bow. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, as I was looking at menus, you know, obviously, you know, that $55 price point is in response to you know, inflation, increased cost for labor, increased cost for raw materials, you know, different ingredients that, that kitchens use to prepare dishes, all of that stuff. So, you know, you, you add a drink to that, you know, 12 bucks, you know, you're at 67 tax and tips, another 13 ish, you know, you're, you're at 80, you're, you're between 80 and $90 a person, which to a certain extent undermines the part of the appeal of Houston Restaurant Weeks, which is that you're getting correct, right? So, and and you know, not everybody, not everybody wants three courses, right? Appetizer, entree, dessert. It's it's kind of old school in that sense, right? But a lot of people like to share. A lot of people like to do whatever. So, what I will say is, I've I've been looking at menus. There are a lot of good choices at that thirty nine dollar price point. You know, Trattoria Sofia, Brennan's, Chivos. You know, just as I was kind of going through. And then the places that are doing that $55, you know, not the steakhouses, right? The steakhouses, it's, it's three courses. It's Caesar salad. It's a, it's a six ounce filet and, and cheesecake basically. Right. Those are, that's, right. that's how that's going to go down. But, you know, daily gathers at 55, but it's four courses. Right. Hugo's is at 55, but it's four courses. So, you know, if nothing else, at least you're getting like a, a big meal, you know, and I, that mitigates it a little bit. Um, obviously still supporting the food bank. You know, there, there were some changes in the donation procedure the last couple of years, but, but, you know, most of the money raised still goes to the food bank, which is, which is a good and worthy cause. So, you know, I would say I'm with you. I think this is, this is a nice way to kind of know going in to a new restaurant, a place you haven't been before kind of what it's going to cost. And then, you know, it's, it's also a really fun way to revisit 
old favorites that, you know, a lot of people maybe haven't been to in the last couple of years. So, yep. you know, I think that's kind of the approach. And then, and then you know, in uh, episodes to come, we'll probably break down a few choices for people, but I've got a list of uh, 14 first-time participants that people can take a look at that'll, that'll serve something of a start for where to eat uh, for this year's Houston Restaurant Weeks. Oh, exciting. Well, I think with that, I am going to say that does it for this week's show. Fun times. Fun times, Eric. Felice Sloan, thank you for doing this. Love it. Love it. Fun times. Thanks for having me, as usual. Thank the listeners for listening. I'll be back next week with another new episode.